Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. On Spectrum, we cover a wide range of topics. We feature journalists, authors, scholars, policymakers, activists, innovators, and sometimes people with just fascinating stories. Today, we're talking with Dr. Michael Bougea, Distinguished Professor of Liberal Arts and Sciences at Iowa State University. Dr. Bougea is an expert in media ethics, technology, and social change. He breaks down for us the media's obsession with the coverage of former President Donald Trump. Dr. Bougea, uh, let's talk about media coverage of Donald Trump. It's been controversial for a number of years. But but let me just ask you a, a question that I think a lot of people have on their mind, and that is, is the news media, or are the news media, are, are they obsessed with the coverage of Donald Trump? Has it become an obsession? Well, I think it's a mutual obsession. I think Donald Trump is obsessed with the media, and the media is obsessed with Donald Trump, so it's twice as bad as anyone might believe. So let's just let's just start let's just start there. I mean, the idea of the media covering Donald Trump to the extent that it does, and the money that it makes by covering Donald Trump in the way that it does, in a political manner rather than in a factual manner, all those are uh, all those have affected our society, which I say is a political sectarian society, which I, what I mean by that is we, we hate the other side uh, more than we love our own. And we consider the other side as others. And because they're others and not like us, then we're morally justified to attack them. Now, this comes from Donald Trump. Uh, if you think back to Barack Obama or or George W. Bush, um, we never we never heard from them a couple times a week. All right, Trump is a hundred stories, a hundred tweets every single day, if not a thousand. Now the reason for that is uh, in part the uh, increasing reliance on social media rather than legacy um, news outlets. But the the other part of it is it's it's about money. It's about fame. It's about it, it's about everything but the audience. On the one hand, the media make a lot of money by covering every single aspect of Trump from a political perspective. 
And number two, Trump relies on the media to keep his name ever in the news. In his mind, um, whether it's good news or bad news, it's news. And he's there in front of, of everyone. And he's been such a master at this. Uh, um, he's not a master com com communicator, in my view, uh, but he's he, he's a master at media manipulation. And the news media embraces that because it serves their financial purposes. You look at places like MSNBC, who are probably 24-7 critical of Don Donald Trump, uh, but still, he's the grist for their mill, correct? Yeah, MSNBC, um, I, I, I'd say, of course, and to a certain extent, uh, CNN. Um, and it, it troubles me, not that they take a more liberal or democratic view uh, for most of their reports. What troubles me is the lack of real news. It's almost always opinion. It's almost always what if. Analysis. Analysis. Is this opinion? What if? How many, how many articles do you see in a day that is not only, it's not only a, a commentary and opinion, it's, it's, it's commentary and opinion about news that has yet to happen. All right. So right now you get what's the Supreme Court going to do? with this issue of presidential immunity. What is the Supreme Court going to do about the 14th Amendment? Here are 10, 20, 100 commentaries on that that fit each of a political niche and that niche in and of itself is governed by advertising and social media and clickbait. So we're, we're, we're living in this kind of um, I, I don't know. It's it, a dual obsession, Trump with the media and the media with Trump. And what's being forgotten about all this are the facts, are, are the news. You know, uh, local newspapers are are almost all dead or they're selling their their buildings and or their ghost newspapers. Yeah. You know, and so we're left with. Um, the New York Times has 1,700 reporters. And that's wonderful. Uh, the Washington Post, maybe um, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, these are the places that are doing some real news, but very few people are getting their news from them. And when they do get their news from them, as in a link or in a reference, it's couched again in this very political, niche-like way. So we're, we're not getting the real news that's out there. We're getting uh, national news. Local news is all but disappeared. We're getting national news. And national news, by uh, definition, is always combative. And we have become combative with ourselves as a result. Well, the silos are almost unbreakable. You have someone who uh, is a Fox devotee, and then you have someone who doesn't move off MSNBC, and they don't talk to each other, and they don't recognize each other, and they don't recognize each other's opinions. So what 
I think we're seeing, and I'd like to run this by you, is that some of the things that most people would say are news aren't even covered by one of these uh, media, whether it's whether it's Fox or MSNBC, they're not even covered. And so therefore, the public has less of an understanding of what is truly going on. Is, is that a fair characterization? It is. It is. Um, it is reality. And you have to ask yourself if what you just said is reality, what type of opportunity does that open up for people who will abuse the system it opens itself up to people who manipulate the system for personal gain whether that gain is monetary whether it's political or so forth so we have now become this secular um divisive society that you know is just eager for one side or the other to go down. And I, I believe you're, you're absolutely right. But we're, it's so ingrained, Tom, and there's, a, there's another um, article for Pointer that where, where I discuss this. It's called The Perils of the Impartial Middle. And what happened to CNN's Chris Licht when he decided to show two sides of the same story to an audience that was, that was used to um, stories that were slanted to the left? He lost his job, and uh, and I thought that uh, that was kind of a test case of how divisive and politically oriented we have become. There's so much news that's happening out there that we don't even know about, that we don't even hear about. And you know what, Tom? There's a lot of goodness in the world, too, that we don't hear about. There's a lot of sacrifices. There's a lot of kindness. There's a lot of mindfulness. But apparently, the audience doesn't have an appetite for that. The appetite that they have is largely shaped by Donald Trump. It's a war. It's combat. Everything is a fight. And there's only one victim, and that victim is Donald Trump. So if you like Donald Trump, you commiserate with him. If you hate Donald Trump, he's a whiner, and um, he dominates the news. And but so what yeah, seems that... What seems to happen here, though, uh, Mickey, is is that um, people get tired of all of this. There is a fatigue factor. You know, I am a news addict, but even I get fatigued uh, occasionally and and have to to take a break. I've never seen a culture that's so bombarded on 24-7, 365 days a year with sometimes minutia or, or repetitive uh, positions or stories. It's just too much sometimes. It's it's that, and it's that, and, and it's a lot worse than that. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the, the, the worst part of it. Uh, Please. Well, now, you know that I teach media ethics, so I have to watch the news. Right. And I force myself to watch the news. I force myself to read the news. I force myself because it's the same recycled arguments over and over until there's real news. Now, this is complicated in some sense because we have moved from a literary society to a digital society. And 
we are in some sense victims of our digital um, devices because they want to keep us engaged and online 24-7 so that they can get the clicks, they can get, they can sell us things, they can data mine us. So we're getting bombarded with social media and we're using it uh, anywhere from uh, nine to 11 hours a day. It's the, it's the first thing I do in the morning and the last thing I do at night. And we're on it all the time. So we're on computer time. We're not on linear time. Computer time is accelerated. You know, we send an email, we want an email back. We send a text, we, we want it. So, I mean, it is a fallacy to live in that unreal world. It's, that's not how the world works. The world works, this happens, then that happens, then that happens. Now, when we're talking about news, lots of things are happening in places where there's no reporters because they've been downsized to such extent they can't cover that news, okay? That creates an opportunity for the reporters who are doing the news to fill that cycle, but it's not enough. We are living in computer time, so we go to social media. And there's been a new, a new phenomenon that I'm going to write about for Pointer pretty soon. I got, I have a, a couple of uh, articles that I'm doing right now, some research on AI, which is another topic altogether. But um, if you look at social media, there are podcasts, and there are TikToks and Instagrams, purporting to tell the real news that we desperately want, but that hasn't happened yet. Did you get that? Yeah, I, I'm trying to get my okay, head around that. Break it down for me. An example of it. Here's a TikTok. Here's the news. Donald Trump today withdrew from the presidential race and apologized to the uh, RNC for all his crimes that he committed while in office. Joe Biden slipped and fell down um, an escalator today and has a concussion and um, and the vice president Kamala Harris is, is taking control. That's the type of crap that's out there. You know, we used to call this conspiracy theories. It's beyond conspiracy. It's fake news, but it's a different type of fake news. It's a fake news for the longing of reports that we want but have not seen yet. It's All right, crazy. I, get, I, I get it. So, so people are reporting what they hope would be the news. Yeah, but it's guised as if it was breaking news with all of the banners and music and bells of breaking news. And, and in many cases, AI is, is creating the script for it. So we're, we're beyond fake news. We're, we're beyond fake news. We're, we are now in a cycle of news that we wish would happen, but doesn't, hasn't happened yet. Let's dissect that. News that we wish would happen. That is a product of our psychographics and demographics and our political aspirations and so forth. News that we wish would happen that hasn't happened yet. And then it's about the news that we don't have, pro or con that. So it's very, very powerful. And what happens is people now don't know what's true. They don't know what's fake. They only know 
what is affirmed in their own conscience. So we're not seeking information anymore, Tom. We're seeking affirmation. And it's gone from fake news to the fake news that fits our demographic and psychographic that we wish would happen but hasn't happened yet. It's crazy. Right. You, it's crazy you, out there. You are an ethics expert, so uh, let me try to ask this question, and I, I may mess it up, so follow along if, if you can. You, We have real news, as you're talking about, happening. There are wars all over the globe. Right. There, there's certainly a war going on in the Middle East, uh, you know, Israel and Hamas and, and, and so forth. That's real news. That's, that's breaking news. That's frontline news. That's news as it's happening. Right. That takes a backseat to this other garbage. You don't, you really have to dig to find hard news about a war that's going on in the Middle East or other parts of Africa or wherever. You know, you can't find it. Instead, you get this garbage. How is that ethical from a journalistic point of view? Well, first of all, before we get to the ethics, let's get to the reality of this. The reality of this is we don't have any more reporters there. Spot news continues to happen, but it happens when nobody's around, no, no media person is around, which is why I have written in another Pointer article that journalism no longer should be a profession. We should make journalism a general requirement for everybody in college because they carry these cell phones. You know, like, and, you know, the whole George Floyd issue with Darnell Fraser, she just happened, she won a Pulitzer Prize because she happened to be on the spot and her, her cell phone recorded uh, that murder. So if, if we're not going to have reporters where spot news happens because nobody's interested in paying for subscriptions, and then we're going to have an opportunity for people to manipulate us and manipulate us by what we buy, manipulate us by the scams that are out there, manipulate us by the political lies that are out there, manipulate us by news that hasn't happened that we wish it, it, it would happen. What does this do to a psyche when we're on line nine to 11 hours a day? We're looking at screens, not each other. We're under some sort of mass illusion right now where our ethics, which are established in, listen to this now, time, in time, culture, and place. Our ethics are a function of linear time and culture and place. We have given up our ethical values for machine values. We always have to be online. We always have to be buying things. We always have to uh, entertain ourselves. We cannot go through uh, any more uh, one minute of boredom. If we're stuck at a traffic light, we're gonna check our cell phones. If we lose our cell phones, we're gonna cry as if someone died because our whole identity is there. It has gone crazy. It is a second version of the great movie Network. We need a network too about how crazy this has all become. It's as if we're all going mad with media. It's time to step back. So I can't do that because I have to teach journalism. But I think that it would behoove people to turn off the TV, to turn off your computer, to do something positive 
with the people who are mean, who mean stuff, who mean are meaningful in your life, and get a grip on what is real. What is real is that the world is full of kindness, it's full of mindfulness, it's full of discretion, it's full of beauty, but we have traded the real world for this facsimile of a world. And that facsimile of a world is how we experience the world now through that cell phone and through that screen. To give you an, a, a quick, what I tell my students is that how many people here have seen a fighter jet take off? And they all raise their hand. I say, okay, let's, let me ask the question a different way. How many people here have seen a fighter jet take off on their cell phones or on a computer? They all raise their hand. How many have seen it at an air show? Maybe one or two. How many have been in the cockpit of a fighter jet that puts on its afterburners? That had one student in five years. Those are three levels of reality. And the facsimile of reality that we're getting is all from that screen. So of course we don't know what's real. And, and of course without reporters, we don't know what's true. So that is not only a problem that journalism can solve, we have to come to grips with something. It is an opening for those who would manipulate us and, and, and make us do things that we ordinarily would not want to do. Hate our neighbor, have fights. You know, I, it just, it's it, one domino affects the other. And that's what we talk about in ethics. So like today in ethics, what we did was we, we looked at the difference between consciousness and conscience and, and had our students, you know, think about, uh, do they still hear that still small voice of the conscience that has been drowned out by the TikToks of society? It's a very dangerous place for Gen Z. I have great empathy for Gen Z. They have been through a lot. They've been through the great recession of 2008. Their families have suffered. They've been through the pandemic. They've been through school shootings. They've, they've been through COVID. They've been through um, school and college being taught online. They've been through um, social media. They're on social media more than anyone else. And it's time for us to think about Gen Z and what kind of future we want from them. And that includes the future of democracy versus autocracy. Well, speaking of that, and first of all, you've mentioned Pointer a, a couple of times. Pointer is, uh, I would define it as a think tank for journalists that, that uh, promotes correct. commentary and education uh, for journalists uh, of all kinds, editors. Uh, it's, it's a place where people can go and examine the kinds of issues uh, that we're talking about. And you, know, you, and you write for them you, too. It's P-O-I-N-T-E-R dot org. And so that they can log on to it. You know, pointer is um, P-O-Y-N-T-E-R dot org. And for those who want to see what's going on behind the scenes in media, that would be uh, a great resource uh, for them. If you want to read my work, it is Michael Bichea, author at Pointer. I've got about 20, 25 articles there. Well, one of your, well, your latest article, I, I want to move to that now. And it, we've talked about media promoting uh, a person like Donald Trump. Uh, but at the same time, we have Donald Trump and his followers uh, saying, uh, in my view, some very dangerous 
things about the status of our democracy and leading to an autocracy if if he is reelected. Now, you you plant that alongside uh, what has went on during Trump's first term, which was the media is our enemy. The media are our enemies. Uh, journalists are the enemies. What is going to happen, one, if he does take office in that regard, I think that he will fulfill some of his uh, promises of retribution. But two, more importantly for our discussion, how will the media deal with that? How will the media cover that? You, you did an excellent piece where you talked to all kinds of people about that issue. And I think the common thread is everybody is concerned. You know, we have to look at this issue with Donald Trump from an, a non-political stance as much as we can. Ex exactly. If, if, if you, first of all, I teach the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Constitution is brilliant. The amendments to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, everything about that Constitution is um, has given us the country that we have, the patriotism that we have, the service that we have. I took an oath to the Constitution at the U.S. Treasury Department when I was um, a, a, an unpaid um, uh, consultant to um, the uh, Citizens Coinage Advisory Committee. I put my hand on a, on a Bible and and, and 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 pledged to the Constitution. People who go into the service uh, do that. It is a wonderful document. The um, what it has given us is the American dream. It's given us to be a real patriot. What does that mean? It means that you serve the Constitution. You do not serve anyone who feels he, she, or they are above the Constitution. And he has pretty much said that he would do away with certain con constitutional rights and privileges that we all have. And he is he's got 40% of the populace that believes everything he says. And now we're getting to the point where he wants to have full presidential immunity, even to use SEAL teams to um, attack his political rivals. He says he's going to be a dictator for one day. He, he's, not, he's not fooling around this time. I think that we're in a very, the United States is in a very difficult situation right now because lots of people like the policies of Donald Trump. They like the economic policies. They like the idea of conservatism. They like the idea of um, uh, pro-life. They, they, they like so many of the ideas that he brings with them. But are we willing to sacrifice the Constitution to have those um, things he brings to the table. And that's why the news media has got to make some choices about covering this. We can't cover it with the objectivity we had in the past. This is what the left believes. This is what the right believes. When there is an authorita authoritarian move to restrict our freedoms, our voting rights, our uh, 
Second Amendment rights, any any of the rights of the Bill of Rights, any of the rights of of, of the uh, amendments to the Constitution, we had better put the Constitution first. You know, George Washington's second inaugural address is something everybody should read. Just go to Google, put George Washington second inaugural address. It's 135 words. It's the shortest speech he ever has. And what he says is, this is a great honor to uphold this constitution. And if, if I ever violate any aspect of that constitution or this office, I expect to be held to criminal account. I expect you to, um, to pillar me and, and, and tell me that I have violated my oath. George Washington's second address is about what we should all do with the Constitution. We should protect it. And anybody who doesn't protect that Constitution is some, something we should, we should think very seriously about. It's called the, para, it's called the paradox of tolerance. Uh, we're coming to a point in media, and, in our, and I'm coming to a point in my own personal life right now, well, we're all going to have to come to. We're all going to have to make this choice sooner or later. I've already made the choice, and the, the the paradox of tolerance is there are certain things that we can agree to disagree about, okay? Okay. But there are other things, maybe a smaller list, that we should never agree to disagree about. We should never agree to disagree about white supremacy. We should never agree to disagree about racism. We should never agree to disagree about sexism. The paradox of tolerance is if you agree to disagree on, on topics that threaten your freedom, then history has shown us that you would lose that freedom. So. When it comes to me, the Constitution is more important to me than my relationships with my cousins, my relationships with my friends, and I even I'm at that point now where if you're gonna if you're going to threaten our democracy and our Constitution and our republic, then you do that on your own. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that other side. I don't want to hear the other side. I don't want to hear the conspiracy theories. I, I get enough of that on social media. If you, if, if, if you feel that way, that it's better to support my own wants and needs than to care about this country and our constitution, then there's no reason for you and I to engage anymore. So let's bring this back to media, uh, Mickey. And, and you, I, you stated your personal views, I think, exquisitely, and I think many people share those. But if the media becomes even more of a target of legal or non-illegal uh, uh, interference uh, under an autocracy, what does the media do? Is it too late to respond? Should the response be now and not two years from now? You know, Tom, you are in a better position to answer that as a former judge and an attorney. How will the legal system protect journalists who are writing against autocracy? How will the legal system support us? Will the First Amendment suffice or will we be punished? Will the laws change? As you had 
had hinted that libel would no longer be civil, it would be criminal. All these things can happen. If you take a look at the issues that are before the Supreme Court concerning Donald Trump, the 14th Amendment, presidential immunity, uh, the 60 cases he lost about voter fraud, all those things, we, we never considered that a president would be in this situation. The framers of the Constitution never experienced or, or thought that there would be a president that thought he was above the Constitution. And those who don't know what I'm talking about, you know, haven't read the Constitution. Read it. Stop listening to Fox News or MSNBC. Start reading what the great thinkers of our society, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Frederick Douglass, Abigail Adams, start going back to the framers of this Constitution and see what they believed and then juxtapose that against an autocracy. Autocracy is, is what we left. King George III was an autocrat. Our whole revolution is based on the voice of the people and the consent of the majority of the people in a republic in which we elect people by fair means to office to represent our interests. That's what this whole idea is about. So how has the media failed? It's failed to defend the Constitution. It's failed to remind us what we are. It, failed, it has failed to remind us what a patriot is. I just got done talking about this in my, in my ethics class. You know, we were talking about deontology, the philosophy of deontology. Deontology, deon is from the Greek duty. We have a duty to tell the truth. And the example that I used was Vice President Pence saying that he was going to go forth and, and, and justify the vote for Joe Biden because that's what the Constitution required while he was being told to be hung outside in a January 6th insurrection. Deontology for, for Mike Pence was telling the truth, following the Constitution, and we all have to follow the Constitution. So I don't want this to be about Joe Biden or, or Nikki Haley or Donald Trump. I want the next I want the next election to be about the Constitution, but you don't know what you have until you read it. What really gets me about some of these patriots, so-called patriots in the United States, they've never read the Constitution, just like they never read the terms of service to Facebook or Twitter. You know, there's a terms of service to be an American. You, you getting this, Tom? There's a terms of service to be an American. It's called the U.S. Constitution. Those are the terms of service. It balances the three branches of government, the legislative, the executive, and the judiciary. It has a rule of law. So if anyone tries to transcend the law, we can hold them accountable. Everything is about that wonderful document that is a living, flexible document. And the only thing it's inflexible about is monarchy and autocracy, because we had a revolution about that. Let me ask you a, a question that's been burning with me, and you mentioned my, my legal background, so uh, this is in that context. We have the Supreme Court of the United States. We have various uh, circuit courts of appeals in the federal system. We have district courts, which are the trial courts. We 
Each state has its own version of its Supreme Court, its intermediate appellate courts, and its trial courts. The common thread of all of those is that there is no army, there is no law enforcement to enforce court orders. That's right. Right now, court orders are followed because of deference to the Constitution, deference to balance of power, deference to the three branches of government. If people routinely, from the top, from the presidency, disregard court orders and say that they don't count, we are in massive difficulty. And that is one of my fears. It's, it's a theory that is called the firewall. The firewall to our democracy is the, the judiciary branch. It gives us a social contract based on the Constitution. And I'm, I, I'm going to say this again. Read the Constitution and then decide who is following it and who isn't. You can make an argument against Joe Biden or for Joe Biden. You can make an argument against Trump or for Trump. But you can't allow one of those candidates for office to say that his interests supersede that of the Constitution and and, and, and the rest of us. And, you know, what is good for Donald Trump may not be good for the Constitution. What is good for Donald Trump may be good for the rich, the fat cats in New York and the stock exchange. You know, I don't know how it's going to help the people who are on the lower end of of the social class spectrum. But the fact of the matter is when you say things like you are going to punish people, there's going to be retribution, there's going to be shooting shoplifters on site, there's going to be all these harsh rules and make people pay for critical, make journalists pay for critical coverage. You know, the conversation we're having right now may be illegal in two years. That's what bothers me. So where, again, looking at the media as a monolithic group, which is impossible to do, but let's do that for a moment. Where does the media go with this? How does the media educate people that this could possibly be a reality and not not just a trending piece on on social media for the day? It's it's not only the media, it's 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 society as reflected by the media and as influenced by the media. I'll give you a perfect example about this. A couple years ago, with the murder of George Floyd, we all were supposed to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we got wonderful accolades in academe particularly, but also in the corporate world, when we came up with policies for diversity, equity, inclusion, and equality. And now, given the political situation and how that landscape has changed, we don't promote diversity, equity, and inclusion and equality anymore. And if you do, we're going to keep silent about it. I promote diversity, equity, and inclusion and equality 
because it's important for the workplace and it's a part of the um, Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act that has protected classes. But if you get administrators at institutions and boards of regents, they're scared to death. Are afraid. Are afraid. They're scared to death. They're afraid of it. You know, I I I I recently wrote one for the Iowa Capital Dispatch about how it is important for workplace, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion is important. You 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 take away one of those, you got a toxic workplace. And then I looked at corporations like Amazon, Microsoft, and others that embrace it because it's part of of not only uh, the, uh, Title VII but an academe uh, Title IX of the 1972 Education Act. You know, the the point of the matter is and it's flat out good business. This is what I, I this is what I want to say to to the boards of regents and the trustees out there. The 1964 Civil Rights Act is a diversity plan. It's a diversity plan for the United States based on the Constitution. There are protected classes. We can't be racist. We can't be sexist. We can't harm the disabled. We can't be ageist. It's, it's all in our laws. And the idea now that we grow silent for fear of what others might say. That's why I said two years from now, this conversation might not, not be allowed. That's what we stand to lose. You know, the First Amendment is not only about speaking about one political side. The First Amendment is about speaking about both political sides. I understand. I understand criticism of, 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 of the radical left. I understand criticisms of immigration policy under Biden. I, I, I understand those. And, and, and I was a Republican for most of my life. I was, a, I, I was, you know, me, you know, me as a Republican, right? Right. You know, and, and the, I, you know, and so my own party calls me a rhino. Are you kidding? I'm, I'm for, I'm for a, a strong fiscal uh, budget. I, I'm for a strong military I, I'm 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 for the Constitution. For I'm less for government all, interference. Every political, every political thing that you might find Liz Cheney voting for, <laughs> but I'm a rhino, and like her, I'm an outcast. And who has replaced me? The people who have replaced me haven't read the Constitution. The people who have replaced me believe what is out there in conspiracy theories and what's out there on social media without picking up a newspaper and reading it for the real news. The media, on the other hand, is fully concerned about making a profit to the extent that will keep feeding people what they want to hear rather than what they should hear. That is dangerous to democracy. Now, it has destroyed our legislative system. It's destroyed our, our, our free elections. The only thing it has not yet destroyed is the judiciary system. And we're going to see whether or not that happens in the next couple of years. So I'm beyond media. I'm worried about our judicial system. Will it uphold the rule of law that no one is above the law in a republic democracy as we have? And how will it enforce it? If it upholds it, it how will it enforce it? That's that's going to be key because if the president ignores it, what then? 
we are in a crisis. You can't look to the Constitution for this because no one who wrote the Constitution or the amendments would have any idea that this could happen in the United States. I would tell everybody to go read the uh, January 6, 1941 address by FDR. It just happened to happen on January 6th. And he talked about an assault on our democracy from fascism. And he talked about the four fundamental freedoms. And at that point in time, there was a movement very similar to today about fascism and whether or not we would be better served by fascism. FDR reversed that with his January 6th, 1941 speech in which he reminded Congress to uphold democracy against the threat of autocracy. The Republic was under assault by poisonous propaganda and, and we saw Europe going in that same way. He has one quote that everybody should read. He says, we must especially beware of the small group of selfish men who would clip the wings of the American eagle in order to feather their own nests. How true does these comments in 1941 echo to this day? History repeats itself, but who would think that monarchy, autocracy, would be back on the American agenda? after the fascism of World War II. Who would have thought, that's why the courts have a hard time. Presidential immunity, they can do anything they want. Are you kidding me? The 14th Amendment may not refer to the, the president because it says Congress. These things are, 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 these things are how many angels can fit on, on the pin of a needle. Anyone who can read understands what the 14th Amendment says. Nobody ever expected this to happen again after the Civil War. Dr. Bougea, we're going to have to end there, but I, I have an open invitation for you to come back. Uh, I know for about the next year, uh, we're going to have all of these things right in our face and upfront and personal with us. And I, I hope you'll come back and, and join well, us and talk you. about this further. Thank you. I just want to say one more thing before we go. The terms of service of TikTok, you should read them. The terms of service of Facebook and Instagram, you should read them. The terms of service for the United States to be a patriot is called the Constitution. Read it. With that, thank you so much for talking with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, John. Today, we've been talking with distinguished professor Dr. Michael Bougea of Iowa State University about the media's obsession with covering former President Donald Trump. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. And Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it to one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, 
please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Have a good day, everyone.